You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, if you were not here last week, we started a new series. We're starting to walk through the book of Romans, and I I shared with you that the book of Romans is such a wonderful book. It's really just simply the gospel. It's kind of a kind of a spiritual PhD course, if you will, in the gospel, and it's it can be at times be intense, and we'll hit some of those stretches, but it's, it's kind of, it, it will provide stability in your life before God in heaven. It just has, unlike so many other books, so many books kind of tell you how to live in, in different ways and things you should do and not do, and there's a little bit of that in Romans, but Romans really is an unpacking of the amazing love that God has for us and, and, and how that works in our life and how much we depend on it, and it will create such an incredible stability for us. And this morning we turn to the passage where Paul says, proudly and unashamedly that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want to talk to you about that living unashamed. You know, shame is kind of an unusual thing. It's kind of a a funny thing, I guess. When I was a little kid, uh, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. In fact, I, I think I've only had two or three pastors in my life. One was my dad and, and then, uh, besides the two, uh, that was here at River, and another one was Pastor Anthony here. But anyway, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And I can remember when I was a kid, I don't know, maybe 8 or 9, 10 or 11, I don't know, something in that area. And I remember being in our church's big nursery. It was a big room and uh, had ugly green carpet. But, you know, back in the 70s, everybody had ugly green like carpet and walls. That was kind of a thing. And I remember taking a ball. It was not a baseball or a softball. It wasn't a hard ball, but it was just like one of those plastic kind of rubber blow-up balls you get. And I remember throwing it across the room, and it was, was this was like kind of just before, it was middle of the week, I think it's actually, it was Wednesday night, because we did like a Wednesday night uh, Bible prayer teaching time, and the kids were all kind of mass chaos, and I was apparently one of those, at least that day, creating mass chaos. I remember throwing the ball across the room, and being shocked as it hit a window, and went right through the window, like broke the window, and I'm thinking, that's not where I was aiming, you know, <laughs> like, how did that happen? And I just, I remember and in that moment feeling so bad. There were some adults in the room, lots of kids, and, you know, my dad's a pastor, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And I, I immediately went out of that room and, and into the, to the big room, into the worship area, and they were just kind of starting, and I'm like, Dad, I got to talk to you. And he kind of looks down at me, and I'm like, Dad, I broke the window. I was like, okay, son, we'll talk about it later, you know. But I just remember it's just a kid, the crushing the guilt, but not just the guilt, but the shame of just, oh, I did something, you know, and just the, the things that hit you. And I can remember walking by behind the building a, the day or two later, as we lived literally right next door. And, uh, and I remember walking back, just kind of seeing the glass on the ground, kind of regretting and all of that, and just the shame, you know. Our culture, shame is such a funny thing. Our culture today is doing everything it can to get rid of personal shame. You know, it's a big thing. Like, shame is bad. Nobody should feel ashamed about anything. You know, you should be able to dress the way you want. It doesn't matter. You should kind of throw off all constraints and just do whatever you want. It wants to get rid of personal shame. But, you know, shame actually can be good. If you do something shameful, you ought to feel shame. If you cut your finger... It's good that it hurts. It tells you, whoa, you have a problem. 
you need to get this fixed. When I had my, you know, cut a couple weeks ago, it's healing up nicely, but, you know, it was like, ow, that hurt. It was, it's our body's way of saying, you have a problem, you need to get help. When we have shame and even we feel guilt, it is our soul saying, whoa, you just did something that's not good, you have a problem and you need to get help. Now, some shame, there is a false shame and all of that, but there is a sense of personal shame that's good. But what's so strange about our culture is that we want to throw off personal shame, but we want to heap on public shame. It's like a, it's like a schizophrenic kind of two-double standard, and it's so strange. I won't mention the political figure by name or the party because we are not a political church, but... You know, there were a few, just a few years ago that one of the political leaders in our country was being called on the carpet because he wanted to live a life of integrity as a man and with men and, and women. And he got called out because he's like, yeah, I don't eat lunch or dinner alone with anybody unless it was my wife. And it was his way of saying, you know what, my wife's number one. I'm never going to be in a spot where I either get tempted or that woman is tempted or even the rest of the world is like thinking something weird's going on. I'm just not going to be there. And the public shaming that just poured onto him like as a sexist, misogynist, and all of that, and just breathtaking the way that our world approaches those things. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, increasingly, we are going to experience those two realities. We're going to experience where the world will want you know, to tell us that, that there is, should be no shame in how anybody lives and whatever they do. Go and do what you want. But as we make choices as followers of Jesus to honor God, to obey our King, to please Him, we increasingly will be out of step with what the world wants to do publicly, and it will be seeking increasingly to bring shame into our life. Well, Paul this morning says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And our life behind everything that we do and live and say should be the gospel. And when it is, we should not be ashamed either. So read with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 1 about this incredible gospel in our life and how we should and can live unashamed about it. Look at verse 8, what Paul says. He's writing a letter to his to a church at Rome, a church that he did not start. He started most of the churches in the New Testament, but he himself was not personally involved in starting this one. But he's writing them a letter from afar. He was in Corinth, I think, as I recall. He says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Isn't that incredible? The world has heard about your faith. Not necessarily because they were a great church or a huge church or a phenomenal church, but this is in Rome. And just like things that happen in the capital tend to get noticed elsewhere, and the Christians around the world, it's like, there's even Christians in Rome, even in the very heart of you know, idolatry, and even in the heart of the most messed upness in the world. If God can save those people in Rome, they can save anybody. You know, kind of think about like today. And so their testimony went all around the world. And Paul was thankful for that. It was an encouragement to the world. And Paul goes on, he says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 
For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some that spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. He's not saying, I want to give you a new spiritual gift, you know, gifts of hospitality or whatever. What he's just saying is, is I want to use my gift to bless you. I want, I, want to, I want to serve you with what God has given me. And honestly, I want to be able to be served by you. I want us to, together in the gospel, I, I want to, for, to be strengthening to both of us and be encouraged by that. He says, I do not want you, in verse 13, to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I'm not ghosting you. I'm not blowing you off. I'm trying to come, but I've been prevented. I've been hindered. In order that I may, uh, I, I wanted to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to notice three things about this gospel the, that Paul is unashamed about. It's emboldening him to, to go and want to go to Rome and to minister and to serve among that church and among that community, that city, the, that people might know Jesus. And if they already know him, that they might know him better. And the first thing I want you to recognize is that this, this gospel is what inspires proclamation. It's the inspiration of our proclamation. Paul said, I am not ashamed of it. And I really want to come to Rome. And I want to preach that gospel. I'm, I, I want there to be fruit from my ministry and from my work. And I want to see you and I want to teach you and I want to use that which God has given and invested in me. We'll hit... Many weeks down the road from now, a portion that we, we, that you know is that God, when He saves us, He gives each of us spiritual gifts, at least one, probably more than one, and, and it makes us a blessing and He uses it. And together as the body of Christ, we, we uh, share with one another and we all have needs in that. And Paul said, I want to use that in Rome. And it was a, inspiring to him. It was a motivation. It was a pushing him forward in ministry and in service before the God of heaven. And so for Paul, it meant that people would get an opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. You see, you and I should not ever be ashamed of the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed of even choices that we need to make based on the gospel. The world will want to increasingly to heap shame upon us, kind of shame on you for that. Kind of, why are you doing that? Shame on you, Christians. But we should not be ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of it because it is the power of God. It's God's power that results in salvation of people. And instead, it should embolden us and it should embolden our proclamation. I love how the story here that Paul says that your testimony has gone throughout the world. You know, I don't think River of Life's testimony has gone throughout the world. Probably your testimony has not gone throughout the world. I was on a mission trip once in Kenya, and I met a guy, and uh, he was talking with me. He was like, oh, I know somebody in New York City. Do you know so-and-so? And I'm thinking, dude, like, like no, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, and, and he probably asked his buddy, hey, have you heard of Sean Pierce in Albany? And the guy would have been like, 
I don't even know Albany exists. Where is that? You know, oh, well, that's our capital. That's right. <laughs> our testimony doesn't go out through the world like that. However, I want us to think about it. Your testimony, the life that you live based on the gospel of Jesus does go into all of your world. It may not go into all of the world, but it does go to all of your world. It goes out every day to your neighbors, those around you that see how you live, that in the summertime when the windows are open, that hears what you're talking about and how you handle things in life. It goes to your coworkers when you're thinking about it and when you're not thinking about it. And they may not know exactly all of why you live and how you live, but your testimony, your faith lived out in your life, the gospel that you recognize that you're a sinner before God who's messed up and whose whole life is just before God is wrong and corrupt, but that God forgives you and saves you and He changes you and you're a work in that progress. And that lifestyle that you live is a testimony to those around you. And so it is the... The gospel is the inspiration of our life. So when you and I get tempted to hang our head a little bit, when we realize that you know, you're sitting in meetings and comments either get made or this, you're just like, wow, these people are going 180 degrees opposite of everything I believe that is right and good. And you're tempted to just kind of you know, either feel bad or to kind of feel sheepish or like you're all alone. You and I need to remember that the gospel is worth valuing and that we should not be ashamed of that. It was the motivation for Paul's proclamation. It's still the motivation for our life and it's the motivation for how we talk with people. To be honest with you, that ultimately that's the way people in New York are going to know Jesus. You know, it's good for us to do ministry events and things to bless people and those kinds of things, but those are not going to be the things that convince people that Jesus is real. That God in heaven is a God who saves. It, those events may introduce us to people, but really what gets people's attention is how you and I live and how we interact with them and how we talk and how we walk and how we, how we act. And it's the, the explanations behind why we do things. And along the way, there are going to be some of those people, they're going to look at you and they are going to feel that you should be ashamed. And they're going to want you to feel all of that. But you and I should be like water off a duck's back and say, I love Jesus and I, I'm not going to feel any of that shame and not letting it stick there. You really ultimately can deal with shame with three things that, that I see and that I know of. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Hebrews 12, let me go there quickly. You have the benefit of just looking on the screen. I always have to turn to my Bible. But listen to what Hebrews 12 says. The Bible says this. It's how we should live. And in verse 2, it says we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Every day, you and I should look to Him, right? who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the identity of our sin and endured the, the uh, death penalty. And he did it, look at the next one, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I endure shame and we will be able to hold our heads high when we don't look at how many people are saying something, how much people are saying, diving into every ounce of what they're saying, but instead by turning and looking at the value of what we have. 
See, we should focus on that more. Jesus endured the shame of the cross, the shame of the sin. Make no mistake, your sins and mine are shameful. And they, that shame was put upon Jesus. And He experienced that on the cross. It was not a fun thing for Him. It was not, we often think about the physical torture, but there is the spiritual, emotional side of it as well, that He experienced all of that shame, who knew no sin and took it upon Himself. And He despised it. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it, but He endured it because He knew what was coming was better. And so when you and I are tempted to hang our head or to maybe hide a little bit or to duck, we should double our efforts and say, Lord, I'm putting my eyes back to You. I'm going to put my hope and my trust in You. And another way that we deal with shame actually is in Hebrews 11, the chapter just before that. It won't, this won't be on your screen, but listen to it. Hebrews 11 gives us another, another clue. It's a choice that we make. Not only do we you know, endure it by looking to how good Jesus is and looking at the gospel, and we'll talk more about that in a minute because that's what uh, Romans... 1, 16, 17 is all about. But I want you to notice that we make a choice. Listen to Moses, what the Bible says about Moses when it's unpacking his faith. In fact, it's unpacking the faith of so many people who are faithful to God. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he's an adult making decisions himself. It, the Bible says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So when we, have, when we are tempted to feel bullied, if you will, spiritually, or look down, or you know, we just kind of know in our heart that we're out of step, we look to, and we consciously recognize the blessings that God has before us, but in the middle of that, and this is the second thing to deal with shame, is that we choose it. We choose to value that more than people liking us. We choose what God does for us. We choose the goodness of God. We choose the righteousness of God rather than fitting in with everybody around, rather than you know just kind of going along with what's going on. Now, I'm not talking about being obnoxious, being a jerk. I'm not talking about being the extremists of, you know, that we get characterized in some ways today. But I am talking about not hiding. I'm talking about not shrinking in your soul. I'm talking about not ducking. I'm talking about not just keeping everything in your life together and trying to keep a lid on it, but instead living our life with an unashamedness, love of Jesus, even when we're at work and when we're living every day and as we leave river, you know, it's easy to walk around here and say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe Jesus. It gets harder when you're like, I'm the only Christian that I know in my office. I'm the only one who thinks this way. And my goodness, if Sean, if you knew the parties, like, I can't go to some of those parties. And your coworkers look at you like, what is wrong with you? You're just weird. And you have to swallow and say, I'm not going to be ashamed about not going. And you have to navigate those conversations and those situations because at the end of the day, I value Jesus more than all of that. It's a motivation for our testimony, the proclamation of our life and how we live and how we talk and that we share. And, and a third piece of that is of how do we deal with that shame or just that as the world pushes in on us, if you will, in that way, is to 
to take the next step that Paul was taking here. And that is, is to desire some fruit in the domain, each domain of your life, each area of your life. Desire some fruitfulness of God at work in the lives of other people. That's what Paul talked about. He said, I want to come there because I'm, I'm zealous. I want some fruit in Rome. I've not been to Rome. I've not shared the gospel in Rome. I want to see some people in Rome saved. Folks, keep in mind, Rome was, Rome was a marriage of church and state. Like to be Roman, you absolutely believed in multiple gods and you bowed down. It was a political control system as well as a religious control system. Paul is saying like, I want to go into the heart of the enemy. And I don't care how politically messed this up this is. I don't care if the Roman government sees us as sedition and sees us as, you know, the threat to them. I realize that I'm wanting to go to the hard place, but I want some fruit in there. What that means is for you and me to not be ashamed, we should be walking into work and saying, God, I'm a minority here. I'm in the minority. I am... I'm alone in this, but God, you're here. And God, I want to see fruitfulness here. Just as Paul spent time praying for the church and praying for Rome and all of that, we should have that same approach of just, God, I am not ashamed of the, of the gospel. I am not ashamed of being a follower of you. And instead, God, I don't know how this work would work, but I believe that the gospel is your power to save people. And I believe you can save some of these very people whose attitudes and actions and beliefs are 180 degrees opposite, polar opposite of what you teach and believe. Because, God, I was once there. And I believe you can use me. And what we should do is you don't need to be an Apostle Paul in that world. God didn't call any of us to be apostles. That was a one-time thing. But God has given you spiritual gifts. And you should use whatever those are. If you've got the gift of hospitality, use it. If you've got the gift of mercy, use it. And ask God to give you those opportunities even when you're at work because you're on the job for Him even when you're there more than just going for a paycheck. And I mean, it, it just He wants to use you in that world. Yeah, it's not going to be like church for sure not doing ministry here in other places and it might be a whole lot longer, but we should realize that the God of heaven wants spiritual fruitfulness even there through you, through all of us. Second thing I want you to notice, we should not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. You see, so thinking about we should throw off that shame and work through it and not be embarrassed, not closed down, but rather be emboldened. And Paul gives us two reasons of why he's that bold, why it's an inspiration for his ministry and for his life. Number one, it's because it's the power of God. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, it's the demonstration of God's power. The gospel of Jesus, the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and actually was able to overcome our sins and rise from the dead is God's power. It doesn't have God's power. It doesn't contain God's power. It is God's power to salvation. It is not our power. We don't have that strength and that ability. In fact, that's what Paul's driving home kind of now, and he's going to talk about it all through the book of Romans and go down deep in some of these things. It is 
not our doing, it's God's doing. There is the debate, if you've been in churches for a long time, and especially if you've been kind of different churches, maybe listen to different teachers and teachings and things, you'll hear this debate, you know, about predestination and election, and some are really for it, if you will, and some are really, you know, like, oh, that's not, and you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you got to deal with it because the Bible teaches about it, so you got to land somewhere. But I want us to recognize wherever a person lands theologically in all that topic, salvation, what this passage is talking about, is 100% God and 0% you. Bottom line, it's 100% of what God does, and it's 0% of what you and I do. You know, there's always the debate for you who watch sports in the world. Well, is it the player or is it the coach? You know, is it, is it that player that's just so good? Or is that player that's just kind of average that had such a good coach? And if we're being honest, it's both. It's a good player, and it's a good coach too, and they work together as a team. But that's not the way it works when it comes to our salvation. It is God. It is God's power at work in our life. It is not even the power of our faith. It's not, the power is not in us. Sometimes we don't even, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't think as clearly about this. We think about like our faith, like, well, our faith is strong and our faith has you know, got a strength and all of that. And our faith does not have that kind of power, folks. The strength is in the gospel, not in our faith at all. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Eddie Miller. And uh, he at one point held the record as the, the was able to deadlift the most weight of anybody in the world. I'm not a lifter, and I'm sure that was terrible technique, but he picked up a metric ton, 1,102 pounds and ch some change. Now, the average horse is 1,200 pounds. Can you imagine anybody being strong enough to just basically pick up a horse? and even hold it, that's, that's insane. My understanding was when he was in training, he had to eat 1,200 or 1,200 calories a day. That's like 10 times what all of us should probably be eating. He would eat every two or three hours. He'd like wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and have steak and, you know, and eggs and just insane what he was eating, just the training, what he was having to do, all of that. You know, at that point, I'm just like, Why? There's a wonderful thing called a forklift that can pick up 1,100 pounds. I don't need to do it, you know? <laughs> I got nothing to prove, but you know, it was his thing, I guess. And so strength. You and I do not have that strength when it comes to our salvation. It is not in us whatsoever. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Clearly, it's not of you. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Grace or faith? Actually, it's both. For by grace through faith you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. God's salvation in our life, beginning to end, is the power of God. That's why Paul is not ashamed. You and I sometimes will trust in different things. I have a friend of mine that was... Um, as a dad, and his first wife had, had died in a horrible car crash, just just horrible thing, and he got remarried, had two new young kids, had adult kids with his first wife, and kind of life kind of restarted. And he had invested, trying to take care of his family, invested life savings in this, I don't know, some, some kind of like gold or coin thing or whatever that sounded good. In the end, it was one of those deals, you peel it back, and he got taken. And he lost everything. I can only imagine the shame that you feel. You know, it was just like, oh, I just let my family down and blew it. We, 
we all, you know, have experienced those things in different ways. Sometimes it's things we do that are wrong. Sometimes it's the wrong thing that we trust. And what Paul is telling us is, folks, you've trusted in the right thing when you've trusted Jesus. Don't be ashamed about it. You have got, it's God's power. It's not in us. It's something that we trust that God did. It's God's strength. And God has able to deadlift much more than that. We've not trusted in something that's weak, something that's going to fail, something that's going to let us down. It is the power of God. It's not the power of us. It's not the power of our faith that saves us, that changes our life. It's not the power of our self-will, even after we're saved, that brings those changes. It's the gospel. It's the power of God that saves us. In the full comprehension of that word, that word saved, it's that salvation. It means that God took us and takes us from death to life. He takes us from being in bondage and captive to sin to being free. He takes us from being enslaved to being released from that. He takes us from being corrupt to purity. He takes us from being immoral to holy. He takes us from death to life. He changes everything. We were lost, and now we're found. We were abandoned, and now we're cared for. We were forgotten, and now we are brought into the family of God. We were without hope, helpless, away from God, enemies of God, and now we've been reconciled to not only are we not enemies, but we are part of the children of God. And when it comes to our life practically, we were so messed up that we couldn't even begin to experience the fixing and healing that we desire. The world around us knows it's messed up and it's trying to fix things through every method possible to help straighten out messes in people's lives and homes and, and, and all of that. But the gospel is salvation. It saves us from sin and the consequences of sin and those realities. And it's the power to change our life and to give us life today. That's the salvation. It's God's power. We should never be ashamed of that in our life. Regardless of what the world might think, the world might teach, what the science says and what the latest study is going on, it is the power of God to salvation. One of the challenges that I have as a pastor as we preach through a book like Romans, it was meant to be read from beginning to end like this was. Early on, when this book was first written, everybody got together. Hey, 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 Paul the Apostle just wrote us something. Let's get together. Let's all come. You know what they did? They just read the thing beginning to end. And so you're like me. Three months from now, we're going to forget this message. But what Paul is thinking is all the way through this. Like, this is the power of God. Next week, we're going to hit the darkness of sin. And a week after that, and what Paul is saying is the world is really messed up. But it's the power of God. We should never forget that. It's the demonstration of God's power that's available for everybody who believes. Faith isn't what saves us. It's the gospel that saves us. Faith doesn't even do as much. Our faith is the condition for our salvation. We simply by faith trust that Jesus did everything and we just believe it. But it is a surrendering of our life in faith. Surrendering ourselves by faith to Him. But we don't do anything. You know, my... Uh, we have many of you, if not most of you, have been to my house and we've got a long driveway and a, a big kind of parking area. 
And where we live in the country, it's not like in town, you know, if you live on a side street, you can just park along the street. You just, there's no place to park in the country where I live. There's ditches on either sides of the road. Unless you want to get sideswiped by a tractor pulling, you know, something going down the road, you just kind of stay off the road. And so anyway, cars were having to get shuffled in our driveway, you know, would somebody, would you move the car, whatever. But think about the way we say that. Would you move your car? Reality is, we don't move the car. The car moves itself. We might guide it a little bit. We might encourage it, but the car does the work. The engineers who designed it, designed the combustion and create that energy and turn the pistons that drive the car. We don't, we don't move the car. We might steer it a little bit and we might coax it along and I'll let the grammarians and the physicists and the theorists in the room debate on how much and how that all works. We're involved in that process. But the car really moves itself. Our faith in relation to the gospel and our salvation is even less. It does 100% of the work. And we just sit back and say, Lord, I believe that. I trust that. And the only time we trust that is when we recognize I'm a sinner and I've made the mess. I'm actually the reason I need to trust that. I'm the reason why I can't do anything, and I just simply trust. It's the demonstration of God's power. Third thing, and I'll be done. It's not only is it the demonstration of God's power, not only is it the inspiration or the motivation for our proclamation, but it's, it's also the revelation of God's purity. Paul goes on, he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Revelation, it's revealed from faith for faith. Or beginning to end, this righteousness of God comes by faith, not on what we do. And as it is written, and here's the proof of that, the righteous shall live by faith. By faith. Not faith plus anything else. Faith alone. Not player plus coach. Faith in Jesus Christ what He did on the cross, that He has done all the work. That It's His power and His salvation. And we get to benefit and we get to experience that and we get to move from death to life by that faith. It's that condition that we experience it. Without that faith, there is no salvation. God does all the work, but we must believe. And only our belief is what? Is the con it's only that is the condition. Our religious efforts don't get it. They amount to nothing in comparison to that. Who we are doesn't cut it. Being a spiritual person doesn't cut it. It's only our faith in Jesus. And that it's our trusting in Him. And then His righteousness is revealed. You see, when Jesus hung on that cross... That's what the gospel is. It's the, the good news. And the good news is that Jesus has died. And He was buried and He rose again. It's good news to you and me. It was bad news to Jesus. But it's good news to you and me because it means we can have life. But it's, it reveals to us the perfect righteousness of a holy God in heaven. That God in heaven takes our sins so seriously that somebody had to die. And that somebody was you and me until Jesus, as it were, stepped in on our behalf.
I realize there was never a time in all of God's eternity where that wasn't going to happen. I believe that. And we'll get into Romans further, just how profound and mind-blowing it is. And even in that, it's tough for our to get our minds around it. But just humor me and let's recognize we're all humans. Reality is, is that we made a mess in our world. And without the gospel of Jesus, Him stepping in between the wrath of God and the justice of God coming for you and for me, we'd be without hope. And it's His righteousness, the perfection of God that we see, the purity of God that God demands justice and He demands righteousness against all sin. And it was displayed on the cross. And then that same righteousness, perfection, gets put on our account. Gets accredited to us. It would be like you having, you or me having all kinds of debt, a million dollars in debt, unable to pay, and Jesus just writing a check and saying, I know you're still broke, and I know you're in debt, but I am covering all of that. I know that you're a sinner and that you owe the God of heaven. And you have nothing with which to pay. In fact, the opposite. You're going to be paying a penalty your entire eternity and existence. But I'm going to cover that. I'm going to make that good. Folks, that should embolden us that the gospel of Jesus is everything in our life. Everything. It's the demonstration of God's power. And it's His righteousness into our life. And so we wake up when we've sinned in that day and we confess it before God, we at the same time can humble ourselves before Him, but at the same time hold our head high and say, but Jesus already paid for that. My debt's been covered, and I'm forgiven. It's His righteousness. It's His power. So I don't know what God has been speaking to your heart about this morning. Maybe you've been feeling a little kicked around at times. That's normal. I think we're going to feel more of that. But take heart. The gospel is God's power. And it saves us. And we'd be in a mess too if it were not for that. And if we keep that boldness and that confidence and not ashamed, and we live that way, and it's a testimony in the world, people see our work ethic, they see our response when the boss is being a jerk. And we manage that well, not perfectly, but well. And we mess up, we apologize, and we live as a Christian should. People will take notice. And when we aren't ashamed of that, and we hold to those things because of the gospel, that testimony goes forward. And maybe, maybe you've forgotten hope in that. Maybe you've been feeling, I think more and more Christians can feel like, well, let's just close in and hold the fort. No. We don't want to be obnoxious. But the gospel is the most powerful thing in this universe. And we want to live that in our life, day in and day out. Maybe you need to be encouraged with your own sin that Jesus' righteousness covers that. And in God's mind, that is past and that is old news. And today you are forgiven before God. Maybe you haven't really just trusted Jesus. Maybe you've been trusting other things and you just simply need to trust God's power and you realize that you've been trusting some of your own power. You're powerless 
I can't deadlift 500 metric ton. I can't lift 1,100 pounds. I don't even know what I can deadlift. Maybe a cat. I can pick up a cat. I pick up my dog. I think he's 50 pounds. But maybe you've been trusting your own stuff. And you simply need to trust Jesus. But whatever God is kind of in your heart today, respond to him. Our last song is all about that. Pray with me and stand, would you? Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he loves us and he died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel. Help us to not forget that. Help us to not feel weak, to feel ashamed, to be embarrassed. But Lord, help us to live boldly our faith with wisdom and discernment in a world that at times is hostile, but a world, Lord, that you are at work and help us to have the attitude of Paul. I'm glad to go in. I'm glad to go into the difficulty and the relationships and the conversations because the gospel is God's power, not mine. Lord, help us to live out of your power in other people's lives. It's not what we say, but to be emboldened and empowered by you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.